The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. On with the show. Well, welcome to this day and this version of Voices of Experience. Hi, I'm Eric Creme. In studio with me, of course, is your host, Paul Casey. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you. You know, I was looking at today's lineup of programming. It's wonderful. It's jam-packed. We've got some, you, I should say, have some wonderful interviews scheduled. Yeah, we talk about history today, like I like to, and then we talk about some current things that are going on in the area. And one of those things is that the sun's out. So I'm mm-hmm. going to talk to a Dr. James Collier, who's a dermatologist, what we can do to protect ourselves from the sun. And uh, I think that's critically important. I think even in the Seattle area, because this spring, it hasn't been uh, really kind to us in regards to the sun. But all of a sudden, we're out there and we could expose ourselves too much. So I think that's very important for our fitness section today. I also have Jim Ellis. And if you lived around the Seattle area for any length of time, you probably remember that name. He was a tremendous civic individual who I think did more to change the face of Seattle, at least in the uh, latter part of the 20th century, than anybody alive. I had an interview with him in 1997, about 25 years ago. And we talked about what was going on in the city and whether he was optimistic about the future and things. So that's going to come up in the latter part of today's show. And um, one other interview I have today, it's with a Stephanie Drimmer. And she wrote a book about the future. And she's talking about all these wonderful gadgets that we're going to have as if we don't have enough already. Mm -hmm. That was I kind of said to her, I mean, what else can we do? But um, there are a lot more things coming. And the book that she wrote is directed towards kids and young adults. I think it was a really fascinating interview with her. And uh, she did talk about what is the next big thing. And I've been waiting for this for a long time. And I'm glad to hear it's finally rolling out. So um, I think you will enjoy as much as I did that interview with uh, Stephanie Drimmer. Again, coming up, actually, she's uh, the first one up. Yeah, you know, I love interviews like that and information like that. Uh, there's a magazine called Fast Company. If you don't uh, subscribe to it or haven't looked into it, check that out. It's a great source for all things futuristic. And it's just neat to look at that, particularly if it's something you go back to, Paul, and say, hmm, I wonder if they were right, you know, with these predictions. Right. And there's about the Seattle World's Fair. I mean, we are in, what, the 60th anniversary of that. And there are a lot of people who have done an analysis of that that have said um, that what do we get wrong? What do we get right at that fair in 1962? And two things they got right was one, the flat screen TV. They had that there and uh, also a microwave and then phones that you will be able to see people on. Of course, there were landlines then, but they had projected that. There were a lot that were off. There was one that had a dome around the major cities in the country, but that was interesting there. Who knows? Great show. Get to here. So um, looking forward to it. And as I mentioned, Eric, Stephanie Drimmer will be the first one coming up next. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, 
She instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. Stephanie Drimmer is with us, and she is the author of a book, Ultimate Book of the Future. This book is directed towards children, but it's just going to looking at what are the great technology that still hasn't come out and what we will be seeing in the near future. And the future is much closer than we think. Start with this. This is a quote of yours. The future is no longer some far-off fictional world. It's being shaped right now. What I want to ask is this. What is the most powerful technological advancement that will have the biggest impact on our lives that most of us don't know about now, and it will come and be available in the shortest period of time? It's just almost right on us. Oh my gosh. As far as technology that is almost upon us, um, I'd have to say flying cars. Yeah, flying cars are something that has been predicted to be right around the corner for over 100 years now. Um, The first flying car prototype actually came out in 1911, if you can believe it. Um, It was not a success, obviously, because we still don't have flying cars. But right now, they really are just on the cusp of happening. There are a ton of companies who have working prototypes and a ton of companies that are developing sort of the logistical side. You know, where are the first flying cars going to take off from and land? And um, that's predicted to be in sort of major transit areas, um, short trips, like, for example, between Manhattan and JFK Airport, a a trip which now takes about an hour. But with a flying car, it would take about six minutes. I've seen some prototypes of that already. I've seen that, you know, people have these small planes and they land at airports and then it turns into a car. So in a sense, they're already out there. Is that right? They are. Yeah, they are. It's it's really, like I said, it's really happening, finally. Sure. And when do you think the consumer will be able to buy one of these? Um, that's a good question. I think that, you know, the first step will be using flying cars as sort of public transportation, something that you can, you know, hire like an Uber, probably like, you know, pretty expensive at first and only available in select areas, big cities. And, you know, I don't know if you'll ever be able to buy one for personal use because I think a lot of people are seeing the future as one where people don't own a personal car anyway. I mean, we're really moving away from that model, whether it's flying cars or a fleet of driverless cars that kind of goes around your city and you can hail to pick you up and drop you off and um, you just don't need to own a car at all. You can do something else with your garage. So what do you think the next technological advancement will be? Again, we're talking about it now, but some of the other gadgets or some of the lifestyle changes we'll be making. Um, I think smart clothing uh, is something that we're going to see more and more of. Smart is something that gets thrown around a lot, you know. Um, sometimes these smart devices aren't always so smart, but there are a lot of um, innovations happening in the clothing sector. There's more simple ones like uh, an umbrella that alerts you when you leave it somewhere, which is 
um, great for people who live in the Seattle climate. I know I'm always leaving my umbrella places. And then there are some other technologies. My favorite one is clothing that has these special structures inside of it that can release energy when exposed to light. And what that means is it can actually clean the clothing as you're wearing it. Let's say you're out to lunch, you get some ketchup on your shirt, your shirt can clean itself. And uh, the idea of never having to do laundry again, I think, is a pretty cool one. How about in the cities? What are going to be the biggest lifestyle changes, say, in the major cities in the country? We were just talking about moving away from a world where most people have their own car. I think if you think about it, cities are really shaped around cars. They're not really designed for people. And, um, you know, so our cities are sort of oriented to allow for roadways and huge portions of them are devoted to these big asphalt parking lots. So it's exciting to think about what are we going to do with all of that space if we no longer have this huge need for places to put our cars? And, um, you know, people are hoping that it will become more green space. So really incorporated in our cities, um, more trees and plants, and um, that will provide habitats for wildlife and also, you know, just a place for people to enjoy nature without having to leave the city to go on a hike or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's some of that has been happening, like in the city of Seattle, been several years or more than several years where the requirement of building apartment buildings doesn't require parking anymore trying to get rid of that already. Mm -hmm. So and I think it's having some very right. positive impacts with urban villages and doing some of the things you're talking about. I think you're absolutely right. It's something we're seeing happening right now. Well, I know you live in the Seattle area. Uh, we just talked about that. And um, you probably heard of the 1962 Seattle World's Fair. The reason I bring this up is because it was called Century 21. And there were a lot of ideas and concepts that were looking to the future that never came true. And there's a question I want to ask you about that uh, in a moment. But uh, there were things like uh, gyrocopters, talking about kind of the flying cars, but there'd be copters that would be, I imagine, on the top of a roof of a, of a house and then uh, would take off and it would be uh, in the sky. Cities would be covered by giant domes to uh, regulate the climate. And then there was a TV telephones that were there, which, of course, turned into smartphones. I think they got that right. But basically, I heard the summary of the Seattle World's Fair that when you walked away there, there was a cartoon called the Jetsons. And most people had that in their minds that that's the way we'd be living now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's fun and funny to look back on past predictions about the future world and see, like you said, some of them uh, have come true. Some of them we couldn't imagine. I mean, we just couldn't conceive of the internet and some of them that just absolutely are a total bust. So um, one of my favorite things in the book is a feature called Future Fails. Uh, there's one in every chapter and it looks at one of those pieces of technology that came from, you know, the Jetsons or Star Trek like uh, force fields or anti-gravity or, you know, a pill that you could take that would replace all of your meals um, and talks about how it's a fail. We don't have it and why. What other uh, technological gadgets are going to be coming out that we may not know about? Oh, my gosh. So many of them. I think that people don't know that, we, you know, we talk about high-speed transportation a lot. And I think that a lot of people don't know that we already have 
super high speed trains. There are trains that can go nearly 400 miles an hour. And the technology they use is called maglev. And um, I think everyone's had the experience of holding two opposing magnets and um, trying to force them together and they force each other apart. And that's exactly how maglev trains work. There's a set of magnets in the track, a set of opposing magnets in the train, and um, they levitate the train just a little bit above the track enough to eliminate friction. Um, So we already have uh, super high-speed trains, but continuing to eliminate friction is uh, something that a lot of people are working on for public transportation. Um, That's where the idea of the Hyperloop comes from. So I think that um, that area is something that uh, people are definitely going to see change a lot that they may not realize. Fascinating. Any other things? I'm fascinated by this. Oh, yeah, everything. I mean, I think for robotics, there are so many cool robots in this book. And uh, one thing that is happening with robots is, you know, we're able to create parts that are smaller and smaller and smaller. So we're seeing some really cool innovations, not necessarily in you know, walking, talking humanoid robots like we sort of thought we would have, but really small, teeny tiny robots. Um, one of my favorite that's in the book is called Hummingbot. And, um, you know, there's a ton of technology that's modeled after nature, uh, given that nature has been perfecting things for millions of years, and maybe we can uh, learn a little bit from it. So this Hummingbot is, um, it flies the same way that a hummingbird flies, which uh, is like totally unique from how other birds fly, uh, enables hummingbirds to hover and fly backwards, which is something that other birds cannot do. Um, and so this teeny tiny robot is sort of drawing inspiration from nature to um, come up with a new technology. Um, I did peruse your book. I love it. And I think uh, my only complaint is that it's directed to kids. I learned so much from it. And so I just think that everybody <laughs> can benefit from reading it. But certainly it, it will be fun for kids as well. Thank you very much for your time. My thanks to author Stephanie Drimmer. And again, the book is called Ultimate Book of the Future. Incredible, ingenious, and totally real tech that will change your life as you know it. I suggested in the interview that this book is as good for adults as it is children, but it is directed towards children. If you would like to get a copy of the book, all you need to do is Google Ultimate Book of the Future, and it will come up. Ultimate Book of the Future. Just Google that, and you'll find the copy of the book. Welcome to this edition to Voices in History. Let's get right to it. On June 27, 1939, one of the most famous scenes in movie history is filmed. Red Butler, played by Clark Gable, and Scarlett O'Hara by Vivian Leigh. As you know, Rhett and Scarlett did not exactly have a storybook party. Rhett made that very clear when he said, Frankly, dear, I don't give a damn. What I didn't know is that the director, Victor Fleming, shot that scene twice using another line. He had Rhett say as a backup, Frankly, my dear, I just don't care. He did that just in case the film censors objected to the word damn. The censors approved the movie, but fined producer David O. Selznick $5,000 for including that curse. I don't get that, but uh, kind of a strange way to handle it. Uh, you know, you approve it, and then you fine him. But uh, hey, $5,000 was probably a pretty good investment. 
in arguably one of the most famous lines in movie history. Now, do you have a line that you think would challenge that? For example, someone might say um, Jack Nicholson when he said in the movie A Few Good Men in 1992, you can't handle the truth. Do you have some lines you'd like to share on this show or famous lines in movie history? Call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166 and let us know what you think is the most famous line or a famous line that has stuck with you. That's 425-653-1166. Okay, back to Voices in History. On June 28, 1997, Mike Tyson bites Evander Holyfield's ear in the third round of a heavyweight match. This attack led to the disqualification of Mike Tyson from the bout and suspension from boxing. On June 29, 1995, the American space shuttle Atlantis docks with the Russian space station Mir to form the largest man-made satellite ever to orbit Earth. That seems like a long time ago for two reasons. One, it was 27 years ago, but more importantly, it shows how far our relations with Russia has deteriorated since. On June 29, 1995, the U.S. Supreme Court rules 5-4 to four that capital punishment, as it currently is being used by the state and federal level, is unconstitutional. At midnight on July 1, 1997, Hong Kong reverts back to Chinese rule in a ceremony attended by Prime Minister Tony Blair, Prince Charles of Wales, and U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. There were some scattered protests, but the transfer of power was mostly peaceful. The Sony Walkman went on sale for the very first time on July 1, 1979. On July 1, 1863, one of the largest military conflicts in North American history begins. Union and Confederate soldiers met in a three-day battle in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Over 50,000 Union and Confederate soldiers were killed. The battle was a decisive win for the North and turned the tide of the Civil War in the North's direction. On July 2, 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson signs into law the Civil Rights Act in a nationally televised ceremony at the White House. This was a great victory for African Americans. The nonviolent protests led by African Americans for almost a decade turned the tide of white America's attitude towards equality, and millions became supportive of the cause. A lot of the segments that I gather for this Voices in History comes courtesy of the History Channel. All you need to do is Google This Day in History, and you can see all of this plus much more. And it is really one of the best sites I've ever been to. So enjoy it. Again, the History Channel, you just need to Google This Day in History. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices 
Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score in the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. My guess is Dr. And we are back with this edition of Voices of Experience. We're going to do something a little different here. We're going to go live to Charleston, South Carolina, and speak with host Paul Casey, who's, who's I guess, remote, I guess we'll call it. Hey, Paul? Uh, we are definitely remote. <laughs> yeah, you're way on the other but, side uh, of the country. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, it's a very interesting place. I have never been here before. And uh, if anybody wants to call in during our discussion on this, Eric, that would be fine, you know, to give us some uh, pointers or some history of Charleston. And, um, yeah, so we got in actually yesterday about this time. And uh, so that makes me an expert on Charleston, South Carolina. I've been here 24 hours, so I know everything (laughs) there is to know about Charleston, South Carolina. What about that, huh? I love it. You're a Uh, quick study. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's go where everybody found, goes. How's the weather? The weather? Well, it's been rainy and uh, thunderous storms uh, pretty much in the afternoon. It's a very, you know, kind of a humid climate, very, um, you know, sub uh, kind of uh, Mediterranean type they describe it as. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very interesting uh, place. And it looks to me, we're here actually down for a wedding that's on Pauly Island, and I've never been there, but we're going up there tomorrow. So it's just part of the world that I've never been to, and I, more than the wedding, I don't mean to say this, Tammy, if you're listening, I really am happy that your son is getting married. But my <laughs> reason for coming was to have this opportunity to come to South Carolina and see part of the world I haven't seen. And the good news today is that my wife, uh, Marty, arranged that we could have a walking tour, and it was like uh, two hours. And when I was looking at doing this, I was going, um, two hours, huh? It's going to be hot. It went like it was 30 minutes long. It was so incredibly well done. Wow. And I actually picked up a lot of things. We had a really good expert uh, talking to us, and I noticed that there were a lot of other walking tours going on at the same time. So my advice would be, and someone gave us this advice, when you come to a place like this, it would be a really good idea to do a walking tour of some sort, or you can do a carriage ride, but get the history and the layout of the land literally when yes. you do that. Yes. So that was um, really something very instructive. You know, that's a that's wonderful advice for anyone that goes to a new city like that. Um, and, hey, if nothing else, you're getting exercise. I would recommend you do some research. I'm sure Marty did that to find a really good, because there's a lot of these tours uh, in cities of this nature, um, and you want to get a, a great tour guide. I think they can make or break, right, the whole experience? Absolutely. And I think that's a very good point, Eric. And I think when you get to your hotel, ask them for the best tours, and they will give you those. Oh, that's, that's a good you're idea. You're right. There are a lot of them. We're staying at a hotel called the Luttrell Hotel. Um, it's kind of down by the market area, and uh, it's a great location. And, uh, you know, one thing I want to mention, this could happen. I'm looking right now. I'm on, the, I'm on the top deck of the place. It's only four stories high, but I'm looking at this old church that was built in the 1600s. 
And during the Civil War, it was fired on numerous times, and our tour guide gave us a picture of a the church during um, the Civil War, and it had holes in the side wow. and uh, the church, and it was pretty remarkable. And we may get a chime at 6.30. I'm not sure, but we're close enough that you'll hear it. That's 6.30 my time, so that's 3.30 your time. Um, we'll see if it, it goes off as, as, as we continue to talk about um, my visit to um, Charleston. You know, out here in the uh, Pacific Northwest, everything's relatively new in terms of the buildings and things like that. Um, and so to hear, you know, things like buildings in the 1600s, 1700s, the Civil War, I mean, you're, you're definitely going back in time there. You're obviously uh, in a city steep with history. Yeah, and uh, this city was founded in 1670, 180-plus years before Seattle. Hmm. And we go back and go, you know, Pioneer Square and what I think Seattle was 1852 or three somewhere in there, but yeah, think about that. And this uh, place uh, w- was founded, and uh, what's kind of interesting is that it really floundered for a long time. Um, you know, really after the, the Civil War, it was pretty much on its knees for many, many years. And it really, this is what I'm picking up today. It, it really only started having a renaissance back in the. 1970s. I mean, you're talking about a long time where it was really kind of, you know, static. And, and as a matter of fact, one of the things found out in 1975, there were four restaurants in all of Charleston. Wow. Four. Now there are hundreds. But um, yeah, there were just like four. And um, when I, I did some look about the population, it has 150,000 people that live here, it feels bigger than that. But the other thing that you really get introduced to and see quickly is that there's no buildings here over five stories. Hmm. So I don't know when that ordinance went in, but obviously for a long period of time. There aren't any skyscrapers here whatsoever. Um, that was, um, I think, pretty fascinating. Um, I what see. Else? I they, see that Charleston is ahead, the sure. largest city in the U in the state of South Carolina, and it's also the county seat. So, right, obviously, a, a very important right. city to the state of South South Carolina, just just by size. Yes, right, absolutely. It's 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 the big one, and um, it's uh, interesting too. It has a French Quarter, hmm. and it kind of looks like the New Orleans French Quarter. I have seen that now. Somebody said um, it's the French Quarter, but it smells good. Um, <laughs> I didn't say that. That's what I heard some people say today. But, I mean, it does have a French Quarter that really kind of mimics, but it doesn't have all the, you know, like the, the shows, the Mardi Gras feel and all sure, that. Sure, It's just, but it really it does have its own French Quarter. And um, this uh, is where the first shots were fired in the Civil War, Fort Sumner. And I'll see that tomorrow. It's just like um, three miles off the shore, if that. And you can see the American flag um, kind of flying there at a distance, the kind of mm-hmm. way it looked at. I imagine when the Civil War began, the first shots were fired there. And um, I think I did know this, but maybe I've forgotten it. But this is where, where, where the slaves were brought in from Africa. Charleston was the place in the, in the 19th century. This is not the only place. And what our tour guides show us, there was only one other place that other than Charleston, where they would come in, and it was Newport, Rhode Island, up in the north. That was the other place 
and I knew Port Rhode Island. I mean, uh, but that was like in the 18, early 1800s, and when uh, the North and the South went to war, of course, the new Port Rhode Island facility closed, or wherever that was, and uh, Charleston became really the only place where slaves would come in and then you know, be sold or whatever. Uh, Charleston has officially gone on record and apologized for that action that was taking place, and they've acknowledged that it was a terrible time for um, the city. And uh, it's, but it's you know really quite a fascinating place to just really be able to you know view for the first time. I, I really hadn't given Charleston. There it goes. Hear it? I can hear it. Yes. Perfect. On. T- All right. There it is. Yes. Or is it telling me I'm talking too far and too long? <laughs> Sounds great in the background. Well, actually, yeah, we only have go. about a minute in this segment here, um, okay. according to Eric. So I'll I want to make go. sure we uh, say thank you to you for, for spending some time during your vacation to call in. Uh, we'll definitely have to do this in, in future shows that when one of us is out and about to maybe call in and, and give a give a person on the street perspective. There you go. Love it. And I got some interviews, so I'll play that when I get back. That Great sounds that sounds so wonderful. Enjoy your time. Enjoy the wedding and all your travels down there. Of course, be safe, and we'll see you next week. Sounds great. Thank you, Eric, and thank you, Eric. Talk to <laughs> you later. You got it. My guest is Dr. James Collier, and he's a board-certified dermatologist who received his training from Northwestern University in Chicago. And he has won many local and national honors for his work in the field of dermatology. So I thought in this health and fitness segment, it would be nice to have a conversation about skin care because there are a lot of things that you can do to prevent skin cancer. My assumption a lot is that the sun is probably the number one culprit for, let's say, skin cancers and troubles that are caused that you would have to go see a dermatologist. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's definitely true. So too much uh, exposure to ultraviolet rays, so UV rays, which includes like sunlight or going to tanning beds, which is a really bad idea. Um, then those are that's the, that's the big uh, risk. The risk grows with the more amount of exposure you have. Can you get too little sun though? Too can you overdo it the other way? Living in the Northwest, you know, most of us are really on the lower end of the vitamin D spectrum. And so, you know, taking a vitamin supplement uh, and specifically vitamin D3 uh, can be really beneficial as far as that's concerned. But because you wear sunscreen doesn't mean you're not going to make vitamin D production. And, you know, I think that people should live their life and do things outdoors. We live in a beautiful place. Just be smart about it. You know, using a broad spectrum sunscreen. So broad spectrum means it uh, protects against UVA and UVB rays. Two main categories of sunscreen. So one is a a physical or mineral sunscreen um, versus a chemical sunscreen. Uh, So a physical sunscreen and the ones that most dermatologists recommend are going to be zinc oxide or titanium because they all sit on your skin and they'll reflect UV radiation. Okay, they're broad spectrum. They have the best broad spectrum coverage of any sunscreens. Most dermatologists without question would recommend a mineral or physical sunscreen that has like zinc or titanium in it because it's going to give you better protection anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's probably safer for you as well. Sure. Now, you go so far as to recommend some products or would you be comfortable doing that? Oh, as far as like specific sunscreens? Yes. 
Oh yeah. So there's there's some really nice ones on the market now um, that are inexpensive. Uh, there is one called Isdin, and it's I S D I N is the name of it, and they carry zinc-based sunscreens, and they're really light and easy to apply. Another one that has actually chemical and physical sunscreens, but mostly physical, is uh, one called Supergoop. And uh, a good kind of daily one that I really like is called Supergoop Mineral Shear. It's really light and easy to use. Uh, what other advancements have there been made in skincare? let's say since you began 15 years ago? There's a few things. So kind of a really hot topic right now is, you know, we've traditionally like skincare has been like, oh, a moisturizer and a face wash. But actually, we're now, there's been a lot of development as far as like dealing with more specific areas of the skin, like crepiness or fine lines and wrinkles, building collagen. And those are called peptides or stem cells um, or growth factors. And they stimulate collagen production and also can help with cell regeneration. So it's actually kind of um, um, stimulating the building blocks of um, thickening skin and having healthier skin. So before we just kind of like, hey, you know, wear a moisturizer or, you know, use, um, you know, acne medication when you when you have, you know, acne. But now we're actually getting to the bottom of what stimulates skin, what makes healthy skin, what can we do for long term having a, a long term healthy skin. And so those these um, these peptides are really um, kind of like very popular now and uh, it's very science driven as far as also say over the last 20 years i mean minor cosmetic procedures also have just been booming and so there's little things you can do in your 30s and 40s to age really gracefully so that you're not at 65 or 70 being like oh i should have done something many years ago and there's minor procedures um you know there's lasers that help with resurfacing for fine lines and wrinkles there's lasers that help with the red spots brown spots there's fillers which help um kind of um uh kind of revolumize lost collagen in the face and then the gold standard for kind of the upper face for fine lines and wrinkles would be botox so there's lots of all sorts of really nice safe procedures that are now you know um, available where they weren't uh, even 20 years ago you know it's interesting you should say like again it would be like earlier the better if you do things like in your 30s and 40s it won't have to be so evasive if you wait to your 60s or 70s to do it oh that's 100 percent correct and unfortunately there's a little bit of a stigma that has previously been attached with like doing cosmetic procedures at a young age it's like hey you know you're only 30 you're only 40 why are you doing this but if you do little things earlier on then you're just going to age gracefully you're not going to look different you're just going to kind of keep the collagen where it needs to be you need guidance on that and that's where you know seeing um, an expert in skincare and you know these skin advancements i mean it's there's so much information out there i'm not going to use the word quacks out there but the people who just are in it for the day and make the money essentially and they don't have the background and training you just have to watch out for that yeah absolutely absolutely how often should someone come into a professional like you and get their skin looked at let's say you're older even if you don't have issues or if you do have issues. But is there a like a period of time, once a year, once a six, every six months? 
So according to the Skin Cancer Foundation, then most people should be, uh, most adults should be, this skin exam should be performed once a year. And especially if you're high risk or over 50 years of age or have a lot of moles, Mm -hmm. um, if you have a history of skin cancer, you might need to be seen more often or a history of, uh, you know, there's also some things that are pre-skin cancerous that sometimes we like to follow up a little bit more often than a year. But... You know, if you've never seen a dermatologist for a skin exam, um, then, you know, having a baseline is never a bad idea. And it's also really good for education because you need to know what you need to look for. You know, is this something concerning or is this something not concerning? And it's really nice to have that kind of uh, that education so um, that going forward um, you can catch skin cancer uh, because early detection is incredibly important, especially for melanoma. Let's go there with melanoma. We hear about that. That's the one that just seems like you, you'll freeze if someone says you got melanoma. And so what are the myths and what are the realities of melanoma? Well, so melanoma is is basically skin cancer of um, pigment. Um, so it's moles. That's what we're looking for. And we're looking for, you know, dark brown, uh, black, flat, moles and uh, that just look kind of like the ugly duckling um the here's the reason why melanoma is gets when people hear that they get they cringe and that's because if melanoma is diagnosed late then your survival rates are very low with early detection of melanoma and this is once again why you would see you want to see a dermatologist once a year is because um, early detection can make all the difference in the world okay and how about basal uh, so, yes, yeah, so basal cell skin cancer is the common skin cancer. It's the skin cancer uh, that is derived from chronic sun exposure. So most people are going to get it on their face, on their, like, so on their nose, on their temples, on their forehead, on their ears. And this is uh, mutations in normal kind of skin cells that just start mutating because of all the uh, UV exposure, which causes mutations. And so this skin cancer is not like melanoma where it wants to spread to other parts of the body thank goodness it can if you let it sit long enough but it does have to be cut out or otherwise it could just continue to grow on the skin this has been Uh, very helpful and informative thank you yes and thanks so much for asking me to come on with you here and i i think pretty much it's just if you haven't been to a dermatologist or been established with one they're the experts in skin uh, a board certified dermatologist and you know, they can answer all sorts of questions for you, ranging from aesthetics uh, to, um, uh, to medical dermatology. Board certified is the key. Exactly. Well, there you have it, a conversation with Dr. James Collier, dermatologist. And again, I hope this interview helped ease some of your concerns about skin cancer. And as in everything, early detection is also the key. If you want to just visit their website and follow up on what we talked about today, All you need to do is go to mdinseattle.com. That's mdinseattle.com.
there are two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Bases loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Hanniger or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Hanniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Jim Ellis is a partner in the law firm of Preston Gates and Ellis. From a stroll on Seattle Center grounds to an afternoon swim in pollution-free Lake Washington or attending a Mariners game in the Kingdom, all have one common denominator, and that's the name of Jim Ellis, who was always involved in the concept level, but also toiled through an often cumbersome process to make these dreams become a reality. And Jim, welcome to Profiles of Experience. What do you consider the greatest challenges facing the Puget Sound region as we enter the next century? I believe the, the really big challenge going to be maintaining a sense of community and conducting ourselves with mutual respect and civility as we address the challenges that will come up both uh, physically, economically, and personally uh, in, the, in the next few years. Uh, it's, uh, it's crucial that we not get so caught up in how we feel about each physical, economic, or political challenge that we lose sight uh, of our need to be civil to each other, uh, to share uh, whenever we can uh, a feeling that we're all part of the same ballgame. We are indeed all brothers after all, uh, and uh, if we lose sight of that in advocacy or in uh, uh, reaching to win, uh, I think we'll all lose. Are you optimistic that we'll be able to do that? I have to be optimistic, because if one is really pessimistic about that, then one foresees a downhill slide, no matter what the physical circumstances or economic circumstances. I believe at some point we will uh, realize it uh, before we slip into some abyss. What is hopeful is that we might realize it much sooner and then gain from addressing each of the problems that comes along. This segment of Profiles of Experience is brought to you by Caller ID from U.S. West. Caller ID from U.S. West shows you who's calling before you answer the phone by displaying the name, number, date, and time of most of your callers, even long-distance calls. With Caller ID, you always know who's calling, so you can decide when you want to answer or return the call later. Caller ID, another simple answer from U.S. West. What do you think makes this area unique? Well, obvious to most people is that it is an extremely beautiful natural area, uh, and that carries with it some mandatory, uh, obligatory sense of stewardship and responsibility that we don't screw it up. <laughs> what do you think are the most important public policy issues this area has made in the last 30 years 
that has had the most positive impacts on the region? The most positive uh, for me are uh, environmental. We have addressed, in fact, we were among the first in the country to address the need uh, to clean up our water, to stop uh, fouling our nest. Uh, and uh, uh, that was done uh, uh, in the 50s and 60s before there ever was an EPA or before there were any federal grants when this area decided to clean up its uh, lakes, like Washington Lake Sammamish, and its uh, nearby Puget Sound areas, Elliott Bay and surroundings. Uh, that was, I think, uh, a remarkable thing because it involved lots of people cut across all walks of life, and because it was done uh, as a matter of local initiative and not as a matter of response to court orders or to federal uh, mandates or even to state mandates. Then uh, what do you think, uh, I guess, along those lines uh, would be opportunities that we may have taken our eye off? I think we missed the boat badly when we didn't approve the opportunity to have uh, a major rapid transit system in place uh, in 1968 and 1970 when we voted down uh, or didn't approve by a sufficient majority would be a better way to put it. Uh, the rapid transit proposal that was presented in 68 and 70. That time, uh, we would have had full funding from the federal government in the form of a check, which Senator Magnuson offered to deliver if the people would vote for that system. We would have had in place a system comparable to MARTA's in uh, Atlanta, which is a beautiful uh, uh, electric transit system, uh, separated right-of-way. Uh, and uh, they built their system with the money that we turned down. Mr. Jim Ellis, thank you very much for spending time on Profiles of Experience. Thank you, Paul. So reflecting on that interview I had with Jim Ellis, it was about 25 years ago. And for the people who may not be familiar with his name, Jim Ellis, I suggest if you want to dig into Seattle history, you look up the name Jim Ellis from Seattle because he had such a huge impact on this community. As he talked about cleaning up Lake Washington, we were one of the first cities to do that long before the EPA. One thing I do want to call out is that generally I would ask people during this time frame, are they optimistic about the future of Seattle and the country and things like that? And most of them, 90% of them said yes. I mean, I'm talking about former governors and mayors and city council members and business leaders. And really, again, they all would say, yes, I am. Now, it's interesting when I was reflecting and listening to this interview with Jim Ellis, he uh, kind of started hedging on that a bit, and he was concerned. You could tell he was concerned about us keeping our community and civility. He said, in a sense, I am pessimistic, but I am hopeful. So he hedged what he was thinking about at the time. I think he may have seen the dysfunction we have fallen into at that time. A delightful man, a very smart man, and just a wonderful human being, Jim Ellis. He passed away in 2019 at the age of 98. And by the way, in the middle of the interview, I just thought I'd play it. It was uh, a sponsor of Profiles of Experience, U.S. West, the phone service of that era, that time. And that was the great voice of Jim Day airing that spot. And if you were listening to Kixie in the 90s, you remember Jim Day. 
When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Now Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. What if the second deadliest cancer in men and women could be prevented? Would you try to avoid the pain? And what if you could protect yourself without leaving your home? Colorectal cancer is highly preventable. Screening is important, safe, and most people have options. Ask your doctor which screening test is right for you. Learn more from the Colorectal Cancer Alliance at GetScreened.org. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. board. What a great show, Paul. I loved hearing your interviews. Uh, Just meaty, great information. I'm excited to learn more about the future as your guest was talking about absolutely fascinating about the flying car (laughs) i want one of those jetsons yes so let's just jump to next week uh first i do want to thank uh stephanie drummer and of course the late jim ellis i think everybody like me i'm sure you enjoyed it if you knew Mm -hmm. his reputation and learned some things next week um have a someone who's famous in the music industry his name is sal cracciolo and he was the trumpet player for the Tower of Power until he retired about uh, a year ago. He was with them for 12 years. He traveled the world, and uh, he has some real backstories that are very fascinating. He visited Russia a couple of times for a private party with czars and things like that. Wow. And he said it was really kind of strange. There was more security in the venue that they went to at some czar's mansion or something than there were people. There were like 20 people and all these security people. And he said, he was kind of glad to get out of there actually. (laughs) But uh, he's a fascinating guy, very interesting, great personality. So um, that's Sal Cracciolo. And again, a trumpet player with tower of power. And that's coming up uh, next week. Just want to let you know that you, if you don't know, voices of experience airs on Kixie Wednesdays at 3 PM. You may know that if you're listening to it now, and it is simulcast with Hubbard's sister station, KKNW, 1150 AM. And Voices of Experience is rebroadcast on Sunday mornings at 11 AM. My name is Paul Casey. And uh, I want to thank Eric Crema again for being here today, host of Spotlight on Success. And you've got some great things coming up, Eric. I'm looking forward to that. Um, executive producers, Steve Mills and Benny Mathers. 
just one more time to, I want to always say this, it's kind of the theme of the show, experience is our best teacher. And speaking of that, quote of the week, success is not final, failure is not fatal, and it is the courage to continue to do what counts. Winston Churchill, a true Voices of Experience. You've been listening to the Voices of Experience Radio Network. No promotional fees have been paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. And finally, experience is our best teacher. This week's One Hit Wonder is notable because it was the first time a synthesizer, or in this case, a Moog synthesizer, was used by a band. The song was first recorded in Germany, didn't do so well. It was recorded in England by another band, but didn't catch on once again. As has been said, three times a charm. It was re-recorded by another British band, and it became the number one song in the UK. It was then released in the U.S., and made its way on the Billboard Top 100. From 1972, Son of My Father by Chicory. 